0: How is everybody this morning good that's not a bad response but we can do better how is everybody this morning there we go that's it. I want to welcome uh, anybody who's visiting with us this morning and, and friends and family um, for Andrew and Amy as well welcome to, to Bayside we hope uh, you enjoy the service this morning uh, it's been it's been absolutely amazing you know I love being able to pray for people worship together do all of that and I the privilege now to, to share a little bit from the word of God and yeah so just welcome if you've got a welcome pack you'll see a whole lot of info about who we are as a church um, and you can fill in the little visitors card and you can come and give that to Steve or myself at the end of the service or to one of our fantastic ushers. Um, everybody enjoying the rain this weekend? There's there's a bit of a mixed response here. Now those of you who have heard me talk about the weather before, I love the cold. So the rain for me, I am I wish I was playing footy in it actually. <laughs> playing footy in the rain, there's not, not many things better when you're playing footy. So I love it and good job for being here this morning. Sometimes it's quite easy to go, you know what, it's cold, it's wet, it's miserable. I'm going to stay in bed or I'm going to stay on the couch, uh, which is fine, but it's great that you're all here with us this morning. It's been one of those weeks for me. It's been up and down, very busy, lots of things going on in family and work and all, all of that stuff. And I, I had a plan. I've been planning for this message for uh, about four or five weeks. And as the Holy Spirit likes to do, he changes plans when he feels Necessary, so he changed plans Friday night, and we were in Anglesey all day yesterday for a wedding. So, uh, like Steve, I apologise if there's a little bit of a slur. I finished this at about 2:30 this morning, but I'm believing that the Holy Spirit will have some fun because he's the one talking, not me. So, you know. I've been fixated on the love of God the last few weeks, and yes, I probably should be fixated on that all the time, and I am, but there's just been something new and fresh and deep to the love of God that's really stuck with me this the last few weeks, and I've experienced His love in a whole new way, and I want to share a little bit around that this morning, if if that's okay. You know, who here is familiar with the parable of the prodigal son? So... That's the focus for my message this morning. It's also going to feature some references from the movie Love Actually, a little bit of my testimony, and we're going to explore probably the most well-read passage of the Bible at weddings, 1 Corinthians 13. So I hope that this morning is a great continuation from Easter and the things that we've talked about, but that it is also a wonderful reminder of the love that our eternal Heavenly Father has for us. Let's pray. Father God, I, I just thank you for your amazing love. You know, we've sung about it this morning and we thank you for that unconditional, overwhelming, never ending, reckless love of yours. And we, I just pray this morning, Lord God, that you would speak through me and that you would speak into each and every one of our hearts and speak your love afresh to us today. In Jesus' name. Amen know I want to preface this morning's message by saying that you know God's love often doesn't make sense you know we're saying that it is reckless and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that a bit more later as to why I think saying it's reckless isn't a bad thing it has no boundaries or limitations and most importantly it's available for each and every one of us and that's an amazing promise and the story of the prodigal son takes these notions and makes them real we see a human father show extravagant unconditional love to a son who as we will read embarrasses insults and abandons his father and his family and it's a great lesson that we can learn and understand about God so if you've got your bible you can flick to Luke chapter 15 verses 11 to 32 alternatively Uh, It should be on screen as well, so you can read along. I'm reading from the NIV. so it says, Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he uh, he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found so they began to celebrate i'm going to leave it there i'm not going to go to the rest just now you know it's an incredible story don't you think you know and I love when Jesus shares his his parables and his thoughts and his insights you know he often offended the regi- religious leaders of the day around some of the truths in this story you know they were so fixated on you had to follow the law to be a righteous man to be worthy of of the love of God but Jesus says no just come as you are it doesn't matter who you are you know Often the Pharisees looked inward, everything was on an inward thing in them and they had no scope for the outside world and the greater things that Jesus was saying. But on the other hand, Jesus, well, he dined with tax collectors and sinners and Pharisees would be like, what is this? You know, this is a teacher of the law going and dining with the unclean. You know, he he laid hands on them and he spoke a very outward message to love God and love people. If you hear Easter Sunday, you would have heard Steve share on that. And if you haven't, you'll be able to listen to it um, online. But I think that that's absolutely essential, you know, that Jesus showed that his life and his message is for all people. And I believe that as we look at this story again of the prodigal son, we can experience God's love. You know, it is free and we have that access to it. You know, as we start the the story, we see the son come and basically dishonor his father. Back in that time, children received an inheritance set aside for them when their father died. So for him to go to his father and say, give me my share of the estate, he's basically saying, I wish you were dead. He's basically asking his father to tear his life apart. But because he loves his son, he obliges. He does so because of the love that he has. You know, most of Jesus' listeners would never have seen or heard of a Middle Eastern patriarch acting this way, let alone thinking it was even possible. It just wasn't custom. Sons were supposed to respect and honour their fathers. You know, I've had an interesting relationship with, with my dad over the years. You know, I was is standard uh, teenage boy who thought he knew everything and knew better and so dad and i clashed a few times and i can relate to the son here because i probably at times didn't really respect my old man all that much we'd get into fights i moved out um and and it just it wasn't great there was a lot of bad stuff going on there and i'll come back to how that how that story has played out a little bit later but you know in this we see the underlying kindness of the father he patiently and willingly and that's important endures this tremendous dishonor as well as I would suggest a broken heart you know to have your son come to you and say basically I wish you were dead I'd say for all the dads in the room there's probably a lot of people who would sit there and go wow you know that's, that's rough. His love has been rejected by his son's want to be free. Now, I want you to consider your response to rejected love. You know, we see lots of things in movies and, and uh, song film clips, you know. I think of, if anybody's seen Bridget Jones's diary, I think back to, the, there's a scene there where she's on the couch singing. Um, I think it's all by myself. She's singing along to that, eating junk food, tissues everywhere. In the movie Grease, I think Olivia Newton-John's character tries and tries and tries and then goes and transforms herself to try and get uh, John Travolta's attention. You know, we, we, we try all these different things to react to a broken heart or to rejected love. For me, back in the day, it was I get a punching bag and belt that around a little bit or it, on, or it was go on a bender because it made you feel better. You know, ordinarily, when our love is rejected, we are angry, frustrated hurt offended sad disappointed and often all of those things at once or sometimes it's in stages we we retaliate and try to prove them wrong or show them that we are better without them we try to do all we can do to diminish the pain that we feel but this father at the height of dishonor and rejection he maintains his affection and love for his son does what he asks, and bears the agony of that decision. What an amazing sacrifice because of love. Does this not also reflect God with us? You know, his generosity and his provision at the absolute minimum. And so the son in this story sets off on his own immediately and wastes what he has. He isn't wise with his inheritance and he has no regard for others it's harsh but it's it's true and isn't that the way in life sometimes we all have moments where it's all about us what we want how we feel how it benefits us and so it is with the younger brother in this story he fixates on instant gratification and immediate satisfaction what can i get now to make me feel good regardless of the long-term cost. I don't need to think about that. I just want to feel good now. You know, I've shared a little bit of my story a bit before, but, you know, I, like I said, I really relate to the younger brother in this story. When I was almost 14, I lost my great-grandpa who, I was born on his 70th birthday. He fought in World War II. I was the only person in the family he shared his stories of war with. So that was a, a pretty special bond. And I obviously had, like I said, had issues at home with Dad and um, I was a reasonable footy player and then got injured to the point that I wasn't able to play footy again and was playing at a fairly high level. Um, And so that sent me down, down, down and it was things like alcohol, girls doing whatever I wanted that made me feel good at the time but You know, you do it once and then a day later you're still not feeling great so you go and do it again and it still doesn't fix and you go and do it again and do it again. And that's just a repetitive habit and a bad cycle. You know, I drove wedges between myself and people who cared about me. I paid limited attention during year 12, only on my terms and when I wanted to. I was broken inside. You know, I I can see how I've been wasteful at times. I squandered my intelligence during the most important time of my education just so I could party it up because it made me feel validated and I didn't have to think about how I was hurting or how I was thinking. I'm sure, you know, some of you may not have gone to that extreme, but I'm sure that we've all at different times done something to try and make ourselves feel better because we're hurting. You know, I confess that my pride was too big to ever admit that I needed help and that I couldn't do it on my own. And there's a lot of that we see as we continue the story. If we look at verses 13 to to 16 again, you know, it talks about how he went out and squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. You know, he's been given a huge portion of what his father owned and the wealth that he had. And he uses it by focusing on the flesh and short term satisfaction. How often do we follower of Jesus or not take for granted the freedom we have in this country, to make our own decisions and to do things our way? How often do we abuse what we have or the people around us to get our own way? How often do we manipulate people or situations to satiate our egos? Probably far more often than we would ever like to admit, I imagine. You know, I, I hurt family, I hurt friends, I disrupted my education, I did a lot of things that I look back on and go, James what were you thinking? And so it was with the son I imagine, doing what he wanted and paid the price for it. So much so that he sold himself into slavery, slept with pigs and shared their meals. Now we, while we may not have literally been in those shoes, have we compromised who we are because of surface things that really are irrelevant? You know, I I love the Mighty Ducks movies. They're fantastic. And we'll tell you, when I'm sick, um, I will go and just watch all three of them on repeat, on repeat, on repeat, because I love them. I'm a big kid, but I love them. But there's, there's some truth in one of the characters across the first two movies that, that fits into this. So Emilio Estevez's character, Gordon Bombay, is a lawyer. He lives it up, and needs to go and uh, do some community service. So he goes and starts to coach a peewee ice hockey team. Now, they're, they're a terrible team when he gets in there, but by the end of the movie, he's referred to as the Minnesota Miracle Man, because he straightens those kids up. He comes in, supports them, encourages them, and gets, the re- gets around them. And so you get into Mighty Ducks 2, where the team is chosen to represent the US at the Junior Goodwill Games and the coach gets swept up in all the fame and all the publicity and starts to, to wear suits rather than what he was wearing. He's all about the TV inter- interviews. I think his team refer to him as Captain Blood because he's all about winning and not about fun. But the good thing is, is that he sees the error of his ways. By the end of that film, he, come back, he comes back to his team and goes, I'm sorry, let's go back and have fun. Let's be who we really are. And quite often through the way that we live, the decisions we make, we we do away with who we actually are at the core and who Jesus has called us to be. It's easy to be swept up in temptation and sin. Most of the time when we are in the moment, it feels good. We're feeding some inward desire that we have that helps us to feel validated, worthy, acceptable, or it's simply a way of numbing pain know I, I think about david with Bathsheba. sees her bathing on the roof and so basically orchestrates her husband's death so that he can go and um sleep with her you know adam and eve they're created and god says you can eat anything you want except the fruit from this tree so they go and eat the fruit from that tree because the serpent tells them to you know, we, we do things for what feels good for us. We aren't alone in our humanity, you know. I think together, at times we fail, we make mistakes, we say hurtful things, we choose the wrong things repeatedly. We try to do it by ourselves. And there are countless movie and TV references where this happens, and we see it throughout the Bible, and it never ends well. We are figuratively living in a pen with pigs destitute and reliant on their food for sustenance and then reality hits and man does it hit hard we're stripped of our dignity our egos are battered our tail is between our legs and so we go back to our source of provision and apologize whether that's god whether that's a person whoever it is You know, and sometimes we do it just to save face because we failed. But the thing is, church, God is bigger than all of that. He's bigger than all of that. His love is bigger than all of that. All he wants is for us to come home to him. You know, and here's how it is. God's love and forgiveness can pardon any kind of sin and wrongdoing. His love restores us and it makes us whole. God is the only one who simultaneously knows what we need and is what we need. Amen. It doesn't matter who we are or what we have done. It doesn't matter if we have abused ourselves or oppressed people. While the son knew that there was food to spare in his father's house, even as the lowliest there, he would soon discover that there was also grace to spare at his father's house. There is no evil that the Father's love cannot pardon or cover. Hallelujah. There is no sin that is a match for His grace. Yeah. And we need to start to believe that. You know, I've shared my path, and it came at the end of year 12 where I started to realise you know what, living this way, there's, there's got to be more to it. There's got to be more that can actually restore you and make you feel better. And it was April the 6th, 2008. I'd been going to church for about three or four weeks and I finally made the decision, you know what? This Jesus guy sounds pretty cool. These Christians, you know, they're all right. I want what they've got. You know, I had that realization of God's love that even though I'd drunk a lot I'd hurt people I'd slept around I'd done a lot of bad things you know I got kicked out of school the end of year 11 you know I'd done a lot of things but God's love covered that God's love was bigger than all of that and through that my relationship with my old man was restored from being one that was really volatile it was restored you know sin has an eternal consequence which is separation from God and death. And an eternal consequence subsequently requires an eternal solution. And our eternal solution is always, always Jesus. And Jesus alone. Amen. You know, the father was filled with compassion and ran out to his son. And this is a person who has defiled his father's name and his home. But the father doesn't care. He's just excited to have his son back. So he hitches up his dress and runs out to his son. He then calls for a celebration with all the trappings, a robe, a ring, sandals for his feet and the fattened calf to be slaughtered. While the son was recklessly extravagant, and that's the definition of prodigal in his lifestyle and spending, so the father was in the love he showed to his son. And subsequently, I think God is recklessly extravagant or prodigal in his love for us. And that's pretty amazing. You know, and love does make us do silly things sometimes. You know, I don't know what the movie is, but there's an 80s movie where some, there's a guy, I think it's John Cusack, comes up with a massive boom box and standing out the front of the girl he's, he likes place, playing songs, you know, makes us do silly things. You see the father running and that's a silly thing. And we've all seen it in our lives some way. You know, it's so powerful that we strike up the courage to act and not care what it looks like to those around us. This is why I love the movie Love Actually. It highlights the best of love. You know, yes, there are some elements in there that aren't the greatest, but there are some amazing stories. Sorry for the spoilers, it's been out long enough that you should have seen it. But these stories need to be shared because it's relevant. So I'm going to start... I, I, I don't like spoilers, so I'm prefacing that. I don't like spoilers, but it's been out like 10 years or something like that, so it's been out long enough. Um, So there's one character, there's a little kid, his name's Sam, and he's just lost his mum and the story starts literally the memorial service for his mum. And then he's with Liam Neeson, who's his, his stepdad, who again, lost the love of his life and then proceeds to raise his stepson. And all through the movie, all that Liam Neeson does is for his stepson, one that's amazing. But then Sam likes this girl at school, but he's like, she doesn't notice me. She's a really good singer. So he goes and learns how to play the drums just so he can play in a concert and be in the same band as her, then doesn't think that he's noticed. And their favorite movie is Titanic, uh, Liam Neeson and Sam. So they go and watch that. And he's like, you know what? Let's do this. I'm going to go after her. And so you see it in the movie, they go to Heathrow Airport and Sam's running through all the, the th- all the checkpoints, the guards are chasing after him just so he can get to his girlfriend, well, not girlfriend at that point, but gets to her just to tell her how he feels. Story number one, that's pretty cool. Then you got the prime minister played by Hugh Grant. You know, he meets his new secretary and falls hopelessly in love with his secretary, which, you know, most businesses would say don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that, that's a recipe for disaster, and and we see throughout the movie that it kind of is a recipe for disaster in a lot of ways. The US President comes across and they meet and he takes a fancy to the Prime Minister's secretary as well, and the Prime Minister basically tells the US President to shove it, pretty much, and stands up to him. But then a little bit later in the movie, you see the Prime Minister go and knock on a hundred doors down a street to try and find this girl, because he wants to tell her how he feels. You know, this is the Prime Minister going and knocking on doors, chasing after the person he loves. And then you've got one one last story, and this is Emma's favourite. She told me how to use this one. Um, So a guy named Jamie, played by Colin Firth, his wife at the start of the movie cheats on him with his brother, so that's a whole lot of awkward. Anyway, he goes overseas and starts to write, because he's a writer. And then he's brought um, a girl that's going to, basically be his his maid and clean his house and all of that she doesn't understand a word of english he doesn't understand a word of spanish so it's great they have some some fantastic interactions that um as viewers they're fun to watch but just being around each other they start to to fall for each other he goes back to england then starts learning to speak spanish for the sole purpose of going back to spain to ask her to marry him you know, like the father in our story, these characters acted from a place of such deep love for the person that they simply didn't care about the end result. And God does the same for us, church. You know, as we sang earlier, he chases us. He fights till we're found and he leaves the 99. Um, I'm just going to read Luke 14:7 just to put some context into that. Uh is that, that one? Uh 15, 15, 7, I think it is. Uh where are we? I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. And Jesus has talked about lost sheep and a shepherd who will even if one of his flock runs away, he will go and chase that one to bring it back. It's a pretty outrageous thing when you, when you consider it. You know, love goes against convention and what is comfortable. And love isn't always romantic church. Often it's messy. It's real. It's ugly. It brings discipline. And sorry to be a buzzkill, but romantic love sometimes, in essence, can be superficial and it can let us down. But God's love... The love that is all-consuming and transforms us from the inside out—that can endure anything. Yes. Yeah. That's real love. And so, if you just quickly flick to one Corinthians 13, and I read verses four to seven: Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And that's God. In that passage, that is God. He showed his love for us while we were still stuck in slavery to sin. He sent Jesus to the earth to live and walk among us as a human, to be tempted, to feel anger and hurt, to be frustrated. Most importantly, though, to model the Father's heart of love for all people, for each and every one of us. He modeled this by enduring what he did rejection. He was beaten, he was whipped. He was stabbed. He had his clothes torn off him. He had a crown of thorns wrenched down onto his head. He was nailed to a cross and he died. You know, Jesus sacrificed himself for us. He lived out the single greatest act of love that the world has ever seen, bar none, and nothing to come will outdo that. You know, in the song Reckless Love, we sang, it says, when I was your foe, still your love fought for me. That's incredible. That while we were separate from God, he fought for us. He fought for us. He fought for us. You know, he chased after us. And it's easy to not feel worthy of that. Trust me, I know. But the fact is, church, because Jesus died for us, we have the opportunity to turn our lives around, to go from being in the pig pen to the feasting table with our eternal heavenly father. Just picture that. Can I get the band up, please? Just picture yourself at that feasting table with God and with Jesus. That's open to us. All we have to do is accept it. This is the greatest love the world has known. It's never failing. It never runs out. It never lets us down. It has no strings attached. God says, come to me, all who are thirsty all who are weary and I will give you rest and the thing is church we aren't disqualified ever from receiving it our past doesn't make us unworthy God loves each and every one of us and has since the day that we were born and will for every day of our life and in eternity his love restores us he puts our broken hearts back together and he strengthens them and fills them with his love A love that is always, always enough. His love heals us. It cleanses us. It removes the creases and the mess and fills it with his message. He is perfect and his love fills any void in our lives and never has to be replaced or repeated. We are given hope for a future, joy to endure and peace that consumes us because of his great love for us. Amen. So my prayer for all of us this morning is as follows. Father God, please guard our hearts. Guard our knowledge of who you are and your love for us. I pray that you would not let Satan rob us of our experience of your love or the knowledge that we are worthy of that love because of what Jesus did. We know that Satan is a father of lies and manipulation and tries to remind us of all our fears, failures, shames, mistakes. He shows us the selfish acts we have done. But we say no more to listening to that. We stand on your love, Father God, and we stand in the waterfall of your love. Nothing can separate us from your unconditional, overwhelming, never ending, reckless love. Towards and for all of us. Amen. It's countercultural, church, this love that God has shown us. Embrace it, believe it, be transformed by it, and then take it and apply it. Love others the way that we have been loved. And if this concept of the love of God is, is new to you this morning, you've got an opportunity to respond, to say, you know what, God? I receive that love. I accept that love. doesn't matter whether you've done it once, 10 times, 100 times, or you've never done it. If this morning you want God to wash over you afresh with his love, I want you to stand. I want you to stand. If you need just that fresh hit of God's love, and that fresh reminder to say, you know what, God, I love you and thank you for your love. Stand. And I'm going to let the band sing a little bit. And as, as you feel led, I want you to stand and just say to God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your love.